You may be seated. Uh, if you're visiting today, we are looking at the book of Colossians. And in order to kind of get you up to speed before we read our text uh, this morning, uh, I was reminded of a story a good friend of mine who's a church planner in a major city told me recently. Uh, he said that he was taking his four-year-old daughter for a walk to the donut shop that's near the house. And while they were walking there, there were a number of people in front of the donut store dressed in very unusual clothes with funny haircuts. They were beating on tambourines and kind of dancing in a euphoric way. And so his daughter asked him why they were dancing like that. And he gave a great answer. He said it's because they are trying to get God's attention. And she asked him, well, doesn't Jesus live in their hearts? And then he gave another great answer. He said if Jesus were living in their hearts, they would not need to get God's attention. They have his attention. They have all that they need in Jesus Christ. That God is always, uh, we are always on his mind. This is what the book of Colossians is about. Colossians has basically been teaching us, as well as the whole Bible, is that Jesus Christ is sufficient. God in the flesh, living the life you don't live or I live, dying the death we really do deserve, raised from the dead, given us his Holy Spirit. If you're a believer... And through union with Christ, we're able to be transformed by this reality. Now what Paul is having to write against is a heresy that's been with us forever. Those are the, those who come into the church who point us away from the simple truth that Jesus Christ is sufficient. So I want you to follow along with me. Now, it's my fault, but it should go to verse 23. It doesn't. So if you want to use your phone... And it'll be a great evil if you use it for other than reading along. <laughs> but verses 22 and 23 are pretty important, okay? Now listen to his argument here against these heresies. And actually, I think he does it in a very loving way. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 16, I mean verse 13. And you, who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart, of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them into open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food, drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together 
through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If Christ, you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom and promising self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we need to hear from you. We need to hear once again the truth of the gospel of Christ's resurrection and all things are new, and we need to understand how to apply that to our lives if we're Christians. And Father, if there are those who are here that are willing to admit that they don't know if they know you or they know they don't know you or they are not willing to know you, Lord, that you would give them ears to hear, to see the beauty of the gospel. For in the gospel alone is life and hope. And so, Lord, we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. Uh, If you have uh, ever been robbed... Uh, you know inc- how incredibly frustrating that is. How angry uh, that can make you. Uh, something that was your possession. Something that's yours. Either you paid for or maybe something somebody gave you. Maybe a treasured possession. Uh, it is confiscated and it's gone forever. You're never getting it back. And I'll tell you, in that moment you realize that that has happened and it's happened to me several times. In that moment... You kind of really want those people before the bar of justice, right? Uh, Even if you're not a Christian, you go, well, if there's a God, one day I hope that whoever stole my stuff has to give an account for taking what is mine, my possession, my rightful possession. Now, what's happened in the last 10 years or so through the Internet is an increasing, uh, a growing problem of theft, and it's called identity theft. And those are are, are the ones who capture your identity. They steal your identity in order that they may steal your inheritance. What is yours? Uh, This is particularly a terrible thing among the elderly. People who scam the elderly and the elderly have everything that they've worked for, everything that's been given to them that's come to families and what they want to leave to their own children. And there are those who come and confiscate it. And so rather than living... Uh, with uh, plenty. Uh, Many live for the rest of their lives on meager salaries. They've been robbed. Now guys, I'm going to tell you, this is exactly what's going on in the church of Colossae. In reality, it's what's been going on in all the churches. If you read the New Testament, the the gospel has been preached. We have a new identity And that identity is in Christ. And according uh, to uh, the text that we have, Paul's going to say there'll be people who will disqualify you from that inheritance. Now what we've already seen in chapter 1 is where Paul says, God the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. If you're a Christian, Paul is trying to drill into our heads that your identity is in Christ And everything that's his is yours. And so what Paul says is that there are those who would rob you of that. 
Now, this has happened throughout the history of the church. It goes on in churches everywhere. Throughout the history, there are those, once the gospel is preached, people come in and they move you away from the gospel. And frankly, I think some do it sincerely, or let's just say ignorantly. There are those who really believe that what they're teaching is to help you find spiritual fulfillment, but it's not the gospel. In fact, you ask, well, what do they teach? What kind of things get taught in the church? Well, if you think about it, it's, it's, they, they, they don't come in and they, they don't teach. Well, you know what? Really, here's what the gospel allows you to do. It allows you to be a fornicator. It allows you to rob and to steal. Now, actually, what they're doing is they come into the church and they tell us that we need to be good. Yes, Jesus is sufficient. But there are things that you must tack on here. Uh, you, you have to bring restraints upon people because if you preach the gospel and you're saying it's in Christ alone, through Christ alone, then people will become antinomian. They'll become lawless. And so you need to bring restraints. You need to get, yes, there's, there's freedom that's here. But you need to be careful with that freedom. I consider it a badge of honor that I've been accused of this. That, well, if you preach the pure gospel, and nobody would ever say that, but if you're just, if you're just preaching that Christ has already accomplished the work, and that's it, then uh, what you're basically going to do is uh, people will take that and run with it, and they'll be antinomian, they'll be lawless. Well, that's probably true at some level. That people will hear the gospel, pervert the gospel, and go the wrong way with it. Maybe some of you are doing that this morning. You say, well, I believe in Jesus, but this is the life that I live over here. It's totally contrary to what Paul would say the sufficiency of Christ would do in terms of changing your life. Of course, the other extreme to go to is the extreme of works righteousness. Now, let me tell you, this week, I read a very famous evangelical man uh, who, <clears throat> if I said his name, it would be, it would be known. Mil literally millions of people throughout the world have gone to his seminars and the seminars were on biblical principles for living. And it just came out this week that he has been asked to step down from this position because of lawlessness. And I remember years ago, I thought about going to one of these things. But the more I heard about it, the more I thought about it, in God's grace, I'm 18, 19, 20 years old, I'm a new believer, and I'm reading uh, Great Fathers of the Faith. And as I'm reading them, they're saying that we're not to live by biblical principles. But we are to live by faith in the Son of God. You have been justified by faith freely. And you are to be sanctified, or as it were, the only way that you'll ever change is not by biblical principles. But by faith. So it's through faith you enter into the shalom, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth that are beginning now. And it is through uh, faith that you will become like Jesus Christ. So here's the question that I have for you this morning. Uh, has someone robbed you of your freedom? You say, how would I know? Well, let me ask you this. Is there real, uh, is there real joy in your life? Is this a real sense that God is no longer angry with me? That I'm no longer guilty? Or when you hear such things like that, does it make you recoil and go, well, you need to be careful with that teaching. Well, Paul wants us to understand that our lives are to be lived out in the freedom that Christ has given us.
That's what our text is about today. Now, last week, we had a warning from the Apostle Paul in verse 8. And he warns us against those who would come in and pull us away from living by faith in what has already been accomplished and tell you to add to your faith uh, through what he calls vain philosophies that are empty deceit. In verse uh, 9 of chapter 2, right after verse 8, Paul says this, uh, For in him is the whole fullness of the deity, and you have been filled in him the head of the rule of all, uh, all authority. So Paul uh, gives them a warning, and then right after the warning, uh, he, he points them to Christ. That all the fullness that you'll ever need is in him. And now we have the second set of warnings. And so here's what I want us to learn as we look at Paul's second set of warning, warnings. Here's the first thing. That freedom and fullness only come through what Christ has accomplished. We'll see that and you go, man, there you go again. Well, I'm going to say, well, there Paul goes again. And then I want us to see that false teachers... They're teaching in Athens right now, and I guarantee you, I've been, I've been, I, I could be accused of it. I have done it before, I'm sure. Because I'm not preaching the gospel, I, I miss it somewhere. But they'll rob you of the freedom that has been accomplished in Christ. And then finally, what is the fruit? What is the real fruit of teaching that points you away from Christ and what he's accomplished? Okay, that's what we're going to look at. So here's the first thing to see is this. I want us to see the freedom and fullness really comes to what Christ has accomplished. He's the one that's accomplished it. You say, okay, well, where do you see that? Well, Paul gives a warning. Then he gives the gospel. And then before the next warning, he gives the gospel again. Notice what he says in verse 13. You can look there, it's in your bulletin. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. There you have it again. So what's Paul's solution after the first warning? The gospel. Now I want to unfold what this is for you who maybe are visiting for the first time. What is the gospel? But let me say this. Why, why does Paul beat this into our heads? Over and over and over again. I'll tell you why. Because some of you still don't grasp it. But not only that, we have a tendency to forget it. Do you know why we did the Apostles' Creed? Some of you are probably saying, well, that's vain repetition. Well, it is repetition. Some is vain, some is not. That is not. So like for you high school students that have been coming to Redeemer since you're five years old. Every Sunday, you're hearing the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Every Sunday, we're pounding it into your heads. Why? Because the church thinks it's wise to do that. If you were to, to come uh, in the building back behind us on, uh, during the weekday, there's Downtown Academy, uh, where we're uh, in the process of... Uh, educating children uh, in the urban area. And one of the things that they are doing is catechizing these children. It's awesome. Matter of fact, I had one of them five years old. It was at my house on Friday. And I was just going to quiz him a little bit. 
And I said, son, let me ask you a question. He said, yes, sir. I said, who made you? He said, God. I said, well, let me ask you another question. What else did God make? God made all things. I said, well, let me ask you another question. Why did God make you in all things? He said, well, for his own glory. And I said, well, why did God, uh, how can you glorify God? He said, by enjoying him and doing what he commands. So I thought, wow, I'll just jump down a few catechism questions. <laughs> so I said, can you see God? And he said, no, I cannot see God. But he always sees me. Now let me ask you something. Do you think that's important to pound into the heads of these children over and over and over these truths versus just following your own heart? I'll tell you what following your own heart will do. It'll teach you to rob and to steal, and to cheat. You know how I know that? Because I have that kind of heart. You have that kind of heart. To cut the corners. To do whatever is convenient for you. To believe the gospel when it suits you. But when it doesn't suit you, you don't follow along. So Paul is pounding the gospel in their head. What, what, is, what does he say? He just said, I'm just going to give you two things. Uh, what has what Christ done? What is he trying to remind people that he's done? Well, first off, it says he made us alive. You can't make yourself alive. You know why you can't make yourself alive by doing works of the law? Because you're already dead. You're dead in your sin. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, God told them that in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day that you want to be your own God, you will die. Well, they ate and they didn't die, did they? Well, not physically yet. But you know what real death is? Death is separation from God. And not only that, our sin, excuse me, our sin separates us from one another. And so you're born dead, disconnected from God and disconnected from one another. But you know what our text tells us? You who once were dead, has he made alive? What's he trying to say? For well, all these heretics that are trying to tell you that you can add to, how can you add to if you're dead and him making you alive? I think I've told this story before, but to drive the point home, there was a young college student who had grown up here and preaching, and you know, he had his doubts like maybe some of your high school students do or junior high kids, and you know, doubts aren't bad things as long as you use your doubts to think about maybe there's truth. But anyway, so he goes off to college, and he has some philosophy professor, and so he comes home at Thanksgiving. And so the preacher is preaching. And, uh, and the preacher's talking about being, um, that talks about the weight of sin and, and, and how we need to feel the weight of our sin before we'll ever come to Christ. If you don't feel the weight of your sin, guess what? Nobody in here is coming. And so after the sermon was over, the, the, the young freshman uh, went to his pastor. and said, I've got to be honest with you about something. And he said, what's that? And he said, well, I'm getting a little bit more enlightened here. And he said, I just, I just got to be honest with you and tell you that I don't uh, believe nor feel the weight of my sin. And so the pastor said, well, um, if you look right down the street down there, he said, you see that mortuary? And the kid said, well, yes. And he said, well, what if we took about 500 pounds of weight and stuck it on top of a dead man? Would he feel the weight of that sin? And he said, of course not. And he said, why would he not feel the weight of that sin? And he said, because he's dead. And then the pastor lovingly said, son, the reason you do not feel the weight of your sin is because you're dead in your sin. You know why a lot of you don't know Christ yet? It's because you're dead in your sin. You're trying to cover your deadness by being moral, being good, but your conscience bothers you. And down deep you know 
that whatever it is you're doing to overcome the weight of your sin will not do it. But our text tells us that Christ has made us alive. Is that good news? He has come. He has buried our sins. And he's raised from the dead. And the Apostle Paul says, don't let anybody else tell you. You otherwise. But not only does he rehearse the gospel by saying that we're made alive, but he also says that your sins are forgiven. Your sins have been nailed to the cross. And the word that he uses there is not the Ten Commandments. The word he uses would be a word that even pagans would understand. And it was a word that meant an IOU. Right? You know what an IOU is? When you promise to pay something back, and then you can't pay it back. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, that through Jesus Christ and through Him alone, it's not through your covering your tracks. It is through Christ's forgiveness of sins that all your sins, past, present, and future, are nailed to the cross. Now let me tell you what the Bible teaches. And Paul is saying right here with the verb tenses, that's already happened. It is finished. Christ was crucified. Why? Because He died for sins. But He's raised from the dead. Why is he raised from the dead? Is a sign of our justification because your sins are buried. There's the gospel. So, listen, I said this last week. I'm going to say it over and over and over again. You get sick of hearing it, but hey, that's catechizing, right? The imperatives always follow the indicatives. Did we say that last week? What Christ has already accomplished, he doesn't tell you to be the light of the world, be light of the world. That's an imperative. He says you're the light of the world. And let me tell you this. You go, well, when are we going to hear what we're supposed to do? Well, the imperatives will be there. They, but they, they cannot be there if your heart has not been changed. Do you understand that? Until you have been converted by the grace of God and by faith, you look to Christ alone. You can never live the imperatives. Because they're external on trying to deal with what is internal, which is corrupt. So Paul says, we have been made new. We're alive. And we're forgiven. Y'all see that? It's pretty clear in the text. So now, he, once he establishes that again, he begins to deal with the heresies and the heretics. So the second thing to see is this. Uh, false teachers will rob you of the freedom that Christ has accomplished. I mean, you have union with Christ. All the righteousness that you will ever need sits at the right hand of God. And if God has called you, chosen you, taken out a heart of stone and put it in a heart of flesh, you're united to your bridegroom, who is Christ. But then there are going to be those who come in and go, no, 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 no. That's too easy. There's something you need to bring back, as it were. And I'm going to tell you, we do it all the time. Reformed people do it. Baptists do it. Catholics do it. Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox do it. They're always wanting to bring something back when the Apostle Paul is saying, that's blasphemy. Where do you see this? Notice what he says in verse 16. I still think it's there in your bulletin. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Listen. Paul has been saying 
that Christ is the ruler over all these elemental spirits that you're concerned about. He says that in verse 8. He's the Lord and Redeemer. He's the Creator. He's created everything. But to move away from the understanding of that, what world religions have done, not to mention secular man has done, is created rules and traditions to help us deal with, with the pain and suffering in life. The evils that are there. Or if you're not, if you're not, a, you know, if you're not a spiritual person, if you're a secular person, I'd say, well, I'm a secular person. Well, you know what? The elemental spirits can be financial disaster, can't they? It can be economic disaster. Uh, it can be a tornado that comes and takes your house away. And so there's all these teachings that point us away from the Lord and Creator of the universe and begin to tell us you need to do this. You know what? You need to diet like this. Uh, and, and this is what you should do with your portfolio. Uh, and this is what you should do about your health. And this is what you should do about recycling. And this is what you should do about the environment. And all of a sudden we start looking at this horizontal level. And we spend all of our lives in the bondage that those things bring. I mean, how financially, financially secure do you need to be? Or is it possible that if God loves you, even if you do all the right things, you've got politicians making all the wrong decisions and destroy everything that you have, like most of us lost half of it about six years ago, didn't we? And so the Apostle Paul is saying that these people are moving you away from the Lord of glory. He tells them they would do it two ways. First off, uh, they're the things that people forbid. Right? If you're not preaching Christ and you go to a church where the gospel's not being preached, they're going to tell you what you shouldn't do and what you should do. Does that make sense? If you love God, you'd be doing this. Or if you love God, you wouldn't be doing this. If you're really spiritual, you wouldn't be doing this. If you're really spiritual, you wouldn't be doing this. So where do we see the things that are forbidden? Notice what it says in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of what? Food or drink. And let me tell you what's interesting about this. All right, so you can't do this. You can't drink that. You can't eat that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Because if you did, you wouldn't be spiritual. You know what? This is the exact opposite of what Paul says in Romans 14. In Romans 14, he's trying to tell Christians who are mature, hey, listen, you know, don't bind the conscience of other people if they're weaker in their faith. And you know who the weaker brother always is? It's you today. They're always bothered by all the stuff that people do. You know who the mature in the faith are? According to what Paul says, those who have the liberty. You know why? And let me tell you why they know that and what Paul is saying here. Is that when God created the heavens and the earth, he said it's all good, didn't he? Everything is good. And then he created males and females in his image and he said it's very good. And God said this, hey, have at it. The whole world is yours. But there's only one tree that you're not to eat of. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't give but one law. He didn't give but one command. And you go, well, why did he do that? Because you see, there's the creator and the creature. And that God wants us to know that the way that we'll be happy in his creation and with the good things that he has given us, the bounty is to remember that they come from him. And the blessing comes from him. And what did Adam and Eve do? Oh, they wanted to be like God. So guess what? Just like us. We want to do our own thing. And what happens when, with that? Well, the whole world is cursed. So everybody's turned upside down and destroys sex. Be fornicated. 
through pornography. And so here are all these wonderful good gifts that God gives us, like sex, like food, like friendships. And because of our own sin, we destroy it all. But Paul says, hey, all things are restored in Jesus. All things are news. New. Don't let people forbid you from the good things that God gives. But not only are they telling you there are things that are forbidden, but also that there are things that they say are required. What do you see as required? Well, the keeping of calendars and festivals, Sabbath days and new moons. Now, let me tell you one way that a lot of non-Christians do this is the horoscope. Right? They look at the lining of the stars. And matter of fact, if you look at all the days of the week, do you know they all have something to do with pagan names? Go look them up. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't have time to tell you because then I have time to write it down. But, all, but, but forget the Jewish world. Uh, we have these uh, things that we, we, uh, that we celebrate or we don't uh, celebrate. But what Paul says is this concerning uh, those things. They were but shadows pointing for Jews pointing to the reality to come. All those festivals, all those dietary laws, all that stuff was just a shadow pointing to the reality and now the reality has come and it is Jesus Christ and he's accomplished it. Through union with him, all things are ours in Christ. One great professor I had, Dr. Robertson, uh, in Old Testament theology said, well, the Old Testament is the gospel, but it's a shadow. It's like the husk of the corn. Okay, but when Christ comes, the husk is taken away. All the dietary laws, all the rules and regulations, they're torn away. And now the corn, the kernel, is Christ himself. And feed upon him. Don't feed upon the husk. You see what the Apostle Paul is saying is, listen. All this stuff is pointing you away from the substance who is Jesus Christ, who is the creator and redeemer. Do you understand that? And the reason you don't have joy in your life, the reason you're not growing in holiness in a life filled with the Holy Spirit is because you're not understanding what it means to look to Christ and to Him alone. Uh, and you got one or two ways. You either start getting real cynical because you hear it all the time, but you never do anything with it. You know, it's a sign your heart hadn't been changed. I, I hate to tell you that. It might be a sign that you've never been converted. You've never given your life to Jesus. You know why you haven't? It's because you still have categories in your life. You still want to do this. You want your family to be this way. And then your family gets destroyed. Uh, or you want to be part of the society, you want to be part of the end club, which is what most of these people were wanting. They wanted the really spiritual end people. And so you miss out on Christ who is the head in whom all things uh, are filled. Let me tell you this. The real issue that was going on, there were men, and some people think a particular person, who wanted to lift himself up by what he had seen, visions of angels, and, uh, and, and uh, what God has spoken to him. You ever met any people like that? Well, uh, Brother Howe, the reason you don't understand what I'm talking about is because you've never had the vision. You, you, don't, you ever talk to people like that? And I go, well, you know what, I don't need that, I have Jesus. I have Christ, I have the fullness. Let me tell you, if we're not lifting up Christ as broken sinners and all together on Sunday and lift Him up and worship Him, then we're lifting up ourselves. You're a sinner, you need Jesus, then join the rest of us here who lift up Jesus, who's raised at the right hand of the Father. Well, one last thing. 
So what's the fruit of the teaching of heretics? That's who goes, uh, you know, I get kind of really get tired of hearing about Jesus being raised from the dead all the time. Can we have some more practical instruction? Well, I'm going to tell you what, you're going to get it next, uh, next week, starting next week. John uh, has the pleasure of showing you how the Bible says we're supposed to be transformed. But you see, until you get the, until you get the indicative, Paul doesn't want to move on. So what, so what does it do for us? pointing us away from Christ. Let me close by looking at this verse. Now, you can look at your phone now. No scores. Notice what he says. If I can get out of Philippians, get to Colossians. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are in no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Y'all see that? All this stuff, all these man-made rules. And even the Ten Commandments in and of itself apart from the Spirit. They don't change us. Why? Because apart from the grace of God and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, you will never change. And the only thing that laws, whether it's God laws or the laws that you make yourself, the only thing that they can ever do is weigh you down. The only thing they can ever do is uh, destroy any confidence uh, that you have. Basically saying, hey, restraint doesn't work. Have y'all discovered that? Like, like if, you're, if, if, you're struggle, if you're struggling with sexual immorality and you want to get on a system like uh, covenant eyes, I think that's a great thing. I have zero problem with it. But wouldn't it be great to get beyond that? Wouldn't it be great to get to the point where you're so filled with the knowledge of the understanding of what Christ has done for you that you're willing to take your body and submit every bit of your life to Him no matter what comes in your life? Now the question ends up in conclusion. So how does that happen? So what does that look like? Well, notice what he says in verse Yeah, verse 20. If, if Christ died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is it if you were still alive in the world do you submit to its regulations? You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? You are separated from God by Adam's sin. You're separated from God by your own sin. But Christ was separated from God because he took your sin. But now that you're in Christ, you died with him, and thus all the things, the traditions, and everything else that's out there that holds you in bondage. You see what he's saying? You're dead to that. It's dead to you. You're alive in Jesus. I had a doctor who um, came to Redeemer years and years ago. It's been 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And uh, he had a family of four, and he was coming to Redeemer. And his little boy, I coached his little boy in, in baseball. His little boy said, you know, I think we're going to join your church. And I said, well, that's great. Excited about it. And so, but the father wanted to meet with me before he joined. And so he said, uh, can I meet with you and talk to you about a couple things? And I said, sure. So we got together the next day. I said, yeah, I'll clear my calendar. And uh, so he came into my office. He used to be over there in the corner over there. And uh, I said, okay, so what's your question? What do you have? What do you want to talk about? He said, well, he said, I want to ask this. Do y'all play Christian rock and roll in your youth group? And I said, uh, I don't know. 
And I didn't want to say I don't care, but that would not have been a loving thing to say. Uh, but I said, well, uh, I said, um, uh, why don't you go ahead and go ahead and give you, I mean, that's your burning question? Why don't you go ahead and give me the other nine things you got on, on your mind here? And so I wasn't trying to be mean, but I said, look, I'll tell you what. Let me tell you what we believe here at Redeemer. And he said, okay. I said, uh, if I were to pick up the phone and call your wife and say, I got your husband here, John. And, uh, and we were just wondering, and I was asking John, uh, does he love you at your deepest point the way he should as a Christian man should love his wife? What would she say to me? And his eyes were about that big around. He said, I don't, I don't really know. And I said, so I picked up my phone. Yes, when you had the landline, right? So I handed it to him. I said, we're going to call my wife. And uh, I'm going to call her up, and I want you to ask my wife. And, and by this time, he's thinking I'm crazy. But, <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, but before I do, I'm going to tell you what she'd say. You know what she'd say? He'd go, I, I, I don't know. And I said, she would say, heck No. He doesn't even come close. And I said, look, I don't know what we do in the youth group. And I don't know the way you're thinking about all these rules and regulations we're supposed to come up somehow to constrain your kids. Or do you think if your kids don't listen to Christian rock and roll that somehow they're going to turn out with hearts that have been changed and reformed? He said, let me tell you what we believe here. And I quoted Tim Keller, and you've heard it before, many of you. I said, what we believe here is this, that as bad as you feel about yourself sometimes, you're a lot worse than that. But you can be loved more than you ever dared hope. Right? And it's that love that will transform you. Do you know that love? Have you ever submitted your life to Jesus Christ by faith? Or do you still want to live according to biblical principles and perish in your sin? Christ alone changes. Let's pray together. Lord, we uh, now come to the Lord's table and we thank you that... Another reminder... Through this sacrament, a visible sign that you're no longer angry with us, that we're in the family, that you've adopted us. Lord, we confess our sin as Christians. We know that we're not what we should be. But we thank you that we're everything in Jesus Christ through our union with him. So Lord, as we come this morning, would you, would you bless us? Would you once again remind us that you will never, ever, ever, ever give up on us? And Lord, may that truth, may that love of Jesus so radically transform our lives that we truly grow in humility and brokenness, but filled with joy. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Those serving communion would come forward.